if God is all-powerful, but he's not good, we're in a lot of trouble. If uh, God is sovereign, but he doesn't care for us, then we really are the victims of his whims and mood swings, kind of like the Greek gods. If God is just, but he's not merciful, then we're just kind of waiting for the hammer to fall, because how many of us are going to be okay in that scenario? If God is all of who he is as far as attributes, without his compassion, uh, we really are in trouble. So it's his compassion that pulls them all together for us. It's, it's the heart of God. Now, there are attributes that God has that he doesn't share with us, right? I mean, his omniscience. He knows everything. He knows what was. He knows what is. He knows what will be. He knows all the questions of if I would have done this or if that. He knows what would have happened in those scenarios. He doesn't let us share with that. God is everywhere all the time. And sometimes I think it would just be cool to be in two places at once. God, God, God doesn't share his omnipresence with us. His sovereignty doesn't, doesn't let us in on that one either. But there are some moral attributes that God has. His compassion that we're not only to share in, we're never going to reflect them down here as he does, of course, but, but we're commanded to share in these as well. And to not have a heart of compassion is really a spiritual heart disease. Now, you know, if you have physical heart disease, sooner or later it's going to manifest itself. It just will. You can't go very long without something coming up regarding that. But if you've got spiritual heart disease, it's pretty easy. You can live a long time physically without that ever being uh, recognized by yourself. Now, I don't know how the spiritual anatomy works, but if you've got spiritual heart disease, it often is attached to spiritual blindness because we really just don't see it in ourselves. I mean, how many folk have said, you know, yeah, I looked at myself and my heart's pretty hard. You know, I can't say I've ever heard too many folk say that. We just don't see this. And even if I would say, you know, we're talking about spiritual heart disease, most of us are thinking about someone else who should be here, aren't we? You know, oh, it'd be great if my children would be here, you know, because they, they have a chronic issue with spiritual heart disease. They could sure use some compassion. You know, I wish my spouse was here today because, you know, that spiritual heart disease runs in their side of the family and they need to be here as well. But not me, not me. Because, because you know, I have a good spiritual diet. You know, I'm always reading Max Licato and John MacArthur and I'm in a precept study and, and I've got a good spiritual diet. You know, I've got good spiritual exercise. I help with the children. And I sing in the choir and I serve on the board. And, you know, I've, I've got this spiritual exercise thing going. Or, you know what, I, I pray for the church or I give sacrificially for it. I've even got one of those little fish thingies on the back of my bumper, right? So, yeah, no, spiritual heart disease, not me. That belongs to somebody else. But we've got to keep in mind that the person we're looking at this morning uh, felt the same thing about himself. Spiritual heart disease, me? No way. But yet he has something over us. He was a prophet. He was handpicked by God to be God's mouthpiece. And so we want to look today at God's attribute of his compassion. But, but since this is one of these attributes that we need to wear as well, we want to look at our heart and see to what extent our heart aligns with his. And we're going to be looking at the prophet Jonah. Now, let me tell you what a spiritually healthy heart looks like, I think, according to Scripture. One is, is it has, I tried to find some, some real short, pithy, you know, they tell you to find a real short, pithy way to say it so everyone remembers this. Forget it, didn't work. So, so just kind of write this down or work with me here. A, spirit, a spiritually healthy heart is an obsession with the spiritual condition of others and 
an absence of preoccupation with the physical condition of self. Now, obsession, I, I like the, this word obsession, because, you know, obsession isn't a fleeting thought or something that comes up once in a while. An obsession is, you know, all the time, right? I mean, it's, it's on both front burners regularly. And what it is, is it, it's kind of like spiritual x-ray vision. We see beyond the costumes of people, right? Beyond their dress and their car and their house and their education and their success. We see beyond that, and we're looking at their heart saying, I wonder how this person is in relationship with God today. I wonder if they're understanding his, his forgiveness and his grace and his power. I wonder if, if they know that. That's, that's the obsession part with others, their spiritual condition. And, and the absence of preoccupation with physical condition of ourselves. Now, this is a problem. If we, you and I have an obsession, its, it's default is, is with myself. It's left over from our BC days. This is why Paul says, continually take off the old man. You don't just do it one time, because if you're able to get it off, that's wonderful, but it follows you around, and as soon as you're not looking, it sneaks back into your heart. You have to continually take this off. Our natural obsession is going to be with ourselves. But a spiritually healthy heart is to have an obsession with the spiritual needs of others and an absence of preoccupation with the physical self. Now, let me ask you, if you went to the doctor and he said, you know what, you've got, you've got a major heart issue, but got a prescription here that I'm relatively, relatively convinced if you take this, it will cure you. I mean, how many of us? I mean, doesn't that bump to the very top of the list? Everything else is secondary. We've got to find this prescription. We've got to get it. We've got to apply it. The book of Jonah, I think we find the prescription for spiritual heart disease. Now, here's the deal. I don't think any of us, I mean, if we all take the, 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 the spiritual heart disease test, I don't think any of us are going to get away unscathed. I think all of us could use this. And so what we want to do is we want to look at the prophet Jonah. We want to have the Holy Spirit be our spiritual cardiologist this morning and kind of show us. And the goal, again, is this is God's heart. We want to see it. We want to see ours and see if we can align ours with his. So if you have your Bibles, will you open with me to Jonah chapter 1? And if you didn't bring your Bible, you're going to need it. Don't go home in front of the, uh, the pew rack in front of you. There should be some Bibles. You can grab one. It should be page 897, I believe. 897. Now, as we, we look at Jonah 1, let's, we'll, we'll start right in. With Jonah chapter, we're going to fly through the whole book. Uh, it's only four chapters, so it shouldn't be a big issue, right? One one. It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, let's look at some of the main characters in the story. First of all, Nineveh, okay? we got a map of Nineveh. It does, you can't see it real easy, but if Nineveh is really right in the middle of that big blob. Right? See, see where it says Iraq? We're just northeast of that, Nineveh. Now, Israel, see, this is where, this is where Jonah would have been hanging out. Tarshish isn't even on the map. You would need to get in a boat and sail west through the Mediterranean, that's Spain. So he's trying to get far, far away. But Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's like the Washington, D.C. of Assyria. Uh, Nineveh is the, the new superpower on the block. They're the new bully. And they've been going through Mesopotamia. They've been eating up whole cities and people groups. Uh, Assyria, Nineveh, is known for their 
they're known for their cruel inhumanity, their, their heinous tortures that they level on those. If they were to come to your city and engage you in battle and you were to lock up the doors and try to take them on, if they beat you, and they probably would, they, they would level some of the worst tortures on, on the inhabitants of that city once they broke through. And their goal was they want word to travel and people to fear them so that when they came up to the next city, they would just fling the doors wide open, give them no resistance and say, here, just take it. We're, we're yours. That was their plan. Nineveh was also a great city, as Scripture says, and we'll find out in chapter 4, at least 120,000 people in this city, maybe up to 500,000. Now, in our day of L.A.'s and Mexico cities and Tokyo's, it doesn't sound like a lot of people, but these are walled cities. Jerusalem, at its height, 24,000 people. And so you've got a walled city of 120 to 500,000 people. This would have boggled the mind of an Israelite. This is an incredibly huge place. Second character, kind of important character, Jonah in the story, right? Jonah was a prophet. That means God chose him to be his mouthpiece. Jonah knew the word of God very well. We'll find in, in, in knew God very well. We'll know in chapter 4 that comes out real clear. Jonah... Uh, Ministered in the north. You remember the nation of Israel about 950 had a, a civil war. And you had a north Israel and a south Israel. And Jonah hung out in the north. And he hung, up, hung out with another prophet named Amos. He was the contemporary of Jonah who, who hung out in, in the north. Something else you need to know about Jonah. Because this book is not just about one guy. We think this is just about Jonah. Oh, no, 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 no. Jonah, I believe this is a historical account. But Jonah reflects, he represents all of the nation of Israel. Jonah's perspective are the nation of Israel's perspective. Jonah's mindset is their mindset. Jonah's value system are the people of God's value system. See, this is how we work into this book. This is, this is Jonah. And we need to understand a little bit about what's going on in his time, if we're going to be fair to Jonah in this situation. He was representing the nation of Israel. Okay, what's going on in Israel? Second Kings 14. I think I've got this one on the screen says he, this is Jeroboam II, he's the king in the northern empire, he's not a real good guy. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. Israel was in their second golden age, not since the time of Solomon, where the boundaries pushed out as far as they are right now. Not since the time of Solomon, where these guys were the nation of Israel, such an economic and political and military power horse as they were right now. It was, it was an amazing thing. They had taken on the Arameans and wiped them out. They had taken on the Edomites and wiped them out. They'd even engaged the Assyrians and whomped on them. The Assyrians had gone back home, their tail between their legs, licking their wounds, trying to regroup. And guess who ushered all this in? Jonah. When, when the nation was a little bit lethargic, Jonah came to them and said, this is what we could be. This is what God wants us to be. And he motivates all the people so they go do what he tells them to do. And look what happens. So you can imagine what the people think about Jonah. I mean, Jonah is a rock star here. Man, they're thinking, yes, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. They're just loving this guy. They're thinking he's great. And you need to know what's going on in the, the, the nation of, of Israel at this point because there's a lot of prosperity. There's a lot of power. There's a, a lot of pride. And, and what, what happens here is a mistake that they enter into. It's a mistake that we can easily enter into as well. They mistook the, the 
blessings of God for the approval of God. Now, if, if you look at, at the, read the book of Amos, and that tells you what's going on in the nation of Israel when Jonah was around, and what you're going to find what's going on there is witchcraft and idolatry and immorality and marginalizing the poor and incredible materialism and a, a, a pampering of the flesh. I mean, it's just you know, depravity on parade is what's happening in the northern empire. And yet, their boundaries are being pushed out. And so the people are thinking, God is pleased with us. Now, this is what's good for us, important for us. We don't want to make the same error and mistake God's blessings for God's approval. And you know this is true. Often we don't stop to reevaluate our life until it's in the basement, right? Until we've been whopped upside the head and it's fallen apart. Then we stop and look at our life. But I wonder if, in fact, maybe sometime while things are going well, we need to stop and evaluate. Because just because life is good does not mean God is pleased. We can't fall into that error of thinking because I've got blessings, I've got God's approval. Because that's just not true. A second error they fell into was loving the, the gifts. More than the giver. Uh, I'm all for gifts. I like gifts. Gifts are good things, aren't they? I'm providing, I guess, what kind of gift you get. But it's a good thing, usually. Yeah, I like, I like gifts. But problem with gifts now is sometimes we begin to like them too much. And, and then we begin to, to long after the gifts. And we begin to expect the gifts. And we begin to require the gifts. And if we ever lose the gifts or, 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 or don't get the gifts, then we fall into major depression. Because we're too committed to the gifts. We like the gifts more than the giver. And the northern kingdom certainly fell into that category as well. So Assyria's on the run, and Jonah and Jeroboam II are hanging out, and they're high-fiving, and they just chased them away, and maybe they're plotting, yeah, let's go to Nineveh, and we'll clobber these guys, and we got them on the run, and they're afraid of us, and we'll just go take them on, and maybe we'll take some captives. We'll see how we're feeling that day. And then God comes and he taps Jonah on the shoulder, and Jonah turns around, and he sees something in God's eyes that he's not so sure he likes. And God says, Jonah, you know, I've been thinking about Nineveh. I mean, I know you have too, but I've been thinking about Nineveh, and I want you to go and preach. And Jonah's thinking, I uh, preach? What are you, crazy? What? I'm not, no, God, I've been, I mean, I've got my list of stuff we need to do to Nineveh, but preach is not one of the things, you know? And I, I think that, that uh, we should stick with my plan. And God says, no, 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 Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And so Jonah says, well, forget this. And he goes, gets on a boat, and he goes the other direction. And this story continues. Verse 4, it says, And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, obviously, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us. And we will not perish. Now, what the author's doing for us is drawing a huge contrast between Jonah, the people of God, and the pagans here. Look at the pagans. What are they doing? They're praying. Even got a, a, a captain of the pagans comes to Jonah, the prophet, and says, Jonah, pray. But Jonah still does not pray. See, see, Jonah knows the score. He knows what's going on. He knows why the storms. And he knows the ship is threatened to break up. I mean, they're in dire straits. And he knows, he figures, I'll probably die here. And all these pagan sailors are going to die here too. Oh, oh well. You know, collateral damage. So, 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 oh, well. He doesn't really care for the pagan sailors. And it's interesting. In, in verse 7, he's going to keep his mouth shut. He's not going to say a word until he's caught. 
They draw straws and he draws the, the small straw and the spotlight comes on him. Hey, what's the deal? And finally he fesses up. Yeah, it's my fault. Oh, well. He doesn't care for them. But I, I like this verse 12. It says, you know, Jonah says, okay, what you got to do is throw me in the water. So it says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. These pagan guys. And here's the picture. Care for Jonah, even though Jonah doesn't care for them at all. And, and verse 12, I got some issues with verse 12. You know, in verse 11, it said that the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. Now, Jonah knew better than this. I mean, Jonah was a prophet, and a prophet's vocabulary is pretty limited. One of the key words, go through the prophets, key word that you find over and over again is, shuv, it's repent. Repent. Because the prophet knows if you repent, God will relent. You're going to find this in chapter 4. Jonah knew this. This is the way God works. If people repent, God will relent. That's what God does, right? That's what God does. And Jonah knows that the way to solve this issue is not to throw him into the sea. The way to solve this issue is for Jonah to get down on his knees and repent and say, God, I'm so sorry. That would fix it. But Jonah would rather die than repent. Have have you, have you ever known anybody like that? They'd just rather die than give in to God. And Christians, Jonah was there. Throw me into the sea. And I, I, I love this. If you were to keep going in verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord. This is the pagan sailors. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. These pagan guys are repenting before they sinned. They knew what they were going to do. And so they repent beforehand. Jonah's not repenting at all. And God's going to draw this contrast. You see how the pagans are acting? You see how my people are acting? And so you, you get down to verse uh, 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You'd be surprised at the journal articles and the commentaries and the studies out there trying to identify the great fish that Jonah went into. Well, who's his throat big enough? And uh, Maybe this was a fish that God, we're talking God here, right? Maybe this is a fish that he created specifically for Jonah or maybe he modified a current fish. Who knows? If God wanted us to know he would have let us in on it. But that's not the issue. But the Lord provided. You get your pen in your Bible? Circle that word provided. A great fish to swallow Jonah. Then look over chapter 4. Then the Lord God, I'm in verse 6 of chapter 4. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow. Circle the provided. Verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine. Circle provided. Verse 8. When the sun arose, God provided a scorching east wind. This is not a story about Jonah and the whale, but Jonah and the whale and Jonah and the weed and Jonah and the worm and Jonah and the wind. This is God providing whatever he needs to provide to get his people to repent. He won't force them, but he's trying. And the picture you see, remember the contrast, not just between God's people and the pagan sailors, but God's people in the natural world. These folk, maybe the biggest animal that they that they have seen, this fish, goes exactly where God commands it to go. And the smallest animal that they've seen, the worm, 
goes exactly where God says go. And the stupid weed grows exactly where God, its creator, says grow. And the wind, it blows exactly where God says blow. But God's people, who are in covenant relationship with him, who understand his forgiveness and his love and reflect him, they're in disobedience. They won't repent. They won't have his heart. And the contrast is stark. And so Jonah goes on a submarine ride in this, this fish. And in chapter 2, it says, inside the fish, Jonah prayed. And we're not going to look over the whole prayer. It's only nine-verse prayer. But just draw, let me draw a couple observations on this thing. First of all, Thanksgiving is huge in this prayer. Jonah is very, very, very thankful that he didn't end up dying, that he's in the belly of this fish. Somehow he's conscious of what's going on to an extent. Maybe he doesn't know where he is, but he, he, he knows he's still thinking and breathing. And so he's very thankful. However, in these nine verses, there are at least 23 times you find the first person pronoun. This, 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 this prayer is all about I, me, my, me, my, mine, I, me, 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 my, I. It's, who's this? it's all about Jonah. He's very thankful for what God gave him. But what you don't find in this prayer, and in its context, it's very obvious, is any hint of repentance. Chapter 1, pagan sailors are repenting. Chapter 3, the whole city of Nineveh is repenting. But chapter 2, God's people, any repentance? Even just a hint, even a thanks be to God who forgives us our sins. Anything like that? No! It's real easy for us to be thankful to God for what he gives us. I'm, I'm thankful to God for what he, I am. I am. It's easy to be on that, that side. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And be a little bit sad when we don't get the things that we want. I'm sad. And he gives them to us. We're thankful. We're thankful. But, but how about repentance? Is that ever part of the equation? Oh, no, 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 God. See, I'm going to do what I need to. I'm going to do ministry as I need to do it. Please, if you give me some suggestions that will help me, yeah, I'll go. But other than that, no, nah, no, nah, I don't think I'm, I'm interested Please, go take care of someone else's life. Just give me the blessings. That's what I'm thankful for. There was, there was Jonah. That was a sign of God's people. Y'all, this, we're not dealing, this is not the pagans we're talking about. These are God's people that fall into this. Verse 10, it says, The Lord commanded the fish, and of course the fish obeys, right? And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. There's a word picture for you. Just think on that one for a little bit. Now, some have said that the fish vomited Jonah onto the shores of Nineveh. Well, interesting, especially since Nineveh doesn't have any shores. You remember, it's an inland city. And for that fish to get to Nineveh, he would have had to cut out. Th- and he did this in three days. He had to cut through the Mediterranean, down the Atlantic, around the south of Africa, up through the Indian Ocean, up through the Persian Gulf, up through the Tigris River. I mean, there would have been, that fish would have been flying. There'd been, he would have been pulling so many G's, he'd been stuck in the foot, tail of that fish. You know, trying to get there in three days. Or maybe... The fish came up to the Mediterranean, came back to Joppa, and just went. <laughs> Jonah, just 350 miles to Nineveh. Probably, probably, and it doesn't say, we've got to guess. But I'm guessing that the fish spit him up where he started. Doesn't sin do that to us? It just kind of puts us back where we started. Lost a little bit of time here. So Jonah, it says, Verse 3, chapter 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Probably figured, I don't have a choice on this one. I guess I've got to go. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. The city required three days. Verse 4, chapter 3. 
On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. That's his message. He says, you guys are doomed. 40 days and you've had it. God's upset it with you. And you know, you're finished. You're all dead men. That's his, that's his message to these guys. And it was, what's fascinating, I mean, this wasn't a seeker-sensitive message, was it? And it's fascinating to me, though, what happens here. There is a major evangelistic campaign that would make Billy Graham envious. The whole city turns. I mean, they might have been saying, well, give me some application. Tell me what I need to do. He didn't have to say any of that. Just that message, the Holy Spirit cut the, these people's hearts with it. Now, it, I like this because we're supposed to do the best we can in sharing our faith. And we need, we need to study, to be ready always to make a defense for the hope that's within us. We've got to be ready for this. We've got to do the best we can. But after that's said and done, when we share and they walk away unconverted, you need to understand, we don't, I mean, spiritual growth is spiritual. God's Holy Spirit does this. We can't argue somebody into the kingdom. They're not going to come to know spiritual growth doesn't happen because we are so quick and on top of things and so witty. And so we share our faith. God's Spirit can use even this to have such a huge revival. It's, it's amazing. And so the, the, the king of Nineveh and all the people, they're not sure how to do this, but they, they repent, they, they fast. They won't let the animals eat. They might as well let the animals be a part of this too. They wear sackcloth, which is a sign of sorrow. They make the animals wear sackcloth, which is a sign of sorrow. Major, major repentance going on. And in verse 10, of chapter 3, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had, and here's our word, compassion, and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Whenever we repent, God will relent. Don't ever get to a place where you think, I'm too bad, I've gone too far. No, 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 if it's a, That's a cop-out. If we repent, God will relent. It's, it's, it's all over Scripture. Now, the book of Jonah is not just a missionary book. We think, oh, this missionary went to this different land and all these people got saved. And It's not a missionary story. If it was a missionary story, there would be no chapter 4. book would be over. It would be all done right now. But because there's a chapter 4, it lets us know the story's not done yet. Climax has not been reached yet. The big idea behind the story is still going on. So 4.1, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh, Lord. Is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Then he quotes from Exodus 34. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah has several different reasons why you think maybe this is a bit of an over, a little bit overextended here. He must be stressed out. I mean, Jonah, calm. I mean, all these people just accepted Christ, as it were. All these people are now followers of Yahweh. What's the problem here? This is a good thing. Well, maybe Jonah has a overrealized sense of uh, nationalism. I mean, he knows that 1,500 years earlier, God came knocking on on, on Abraham's front door and says, "Hey, hey, Abraham." All your seed, they're, they're going to be my people. 
And I'm going to be their God. I'm going to bless those who, who bless you. And anyone who curses you, I'm going to curse. And so, so Jonah knows what every Old Testament person knew, that, that, that God is going to bless the nation of Israel. And throughout their, their history, he didn't bless any other nations, just the nation of Israel. And so you got Rahab's and Ruth and Ruth thrown in there once in a while. But it was the nation of Israel that was blessed. And he who gets God gets the blessings. And so maybe Jonah's thinking, well... Maybe God's going to transfer the blessings because he doesn't like us. He's going to transfer them all to the Assyrians. He's going to use me to do it. Maybe he's got an over-realized sense of nationalism. Maybe he's got a sense of self-preservation. Because if Jonah goes to Nineveh and God blows up the city and he comes back home, I mean, people back home are going to think he's pretty on top of stuff, don't you? I mean, he, he was a rock star before. I mean, they're going to erect statues to this guy if he goes and takes out all of Nineveh by himself, just he and God. But if Nineveh repents, he's going to go back home. And what are they going to do? They're going to pull him aside and they're going to say, hey, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing taking our God to them for? What are you doing bringing our special secret weapon to those guys? What are you, crazy? And he knows he can't go back home. So he goes out in the desert and he puts up a little hut. Maybe he's got an uh, extreme sense of merciless justice. These guys who are evil people, they deserved it. He doesn't realize why God would even protect them. That's the things going on in, in, in Jonah's mind. Verse 4, though, of chapter 4, it says, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? It says, Jonah went out and sat down. Jonah's not even talking to the Lord. not even respond to that one. Just this. Leave me alone right now. So Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He was still just kind of hoping above hope that God would blow the place up. Then the Lord God provided the vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. That's kind of an object lesson here for, for Jonah. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You've been very concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God comes to Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, how are you feeling today? And God knows how he's feeling, but that's how are you feeling today. And Jonah says, I'm ticked off. I'm depressed. I'm angry. I'm upset. God says, well, why, Jonah? Jonah says, my plants died, and I'm upset. And God says, well, it's just a stupid plant. Jonah says, no, maybe it was a stupid plant to you. you know, but to me, it was my friend, and it was my companion, and it comforted me, and I liked that plant, and I'm upset that it died. And God says, Jonah, let me tell you what I'm seeing. You know, you know, you know Jonah... This plant brought you comfort, but there's millions of them in the desert. They come and they go all the time. They're, they're senseless things. They're, they're not created in, in my image things, uh, but they bring you comfort. And now it, it's gone, but Nineveh, Jonah, got 120,000 people that I created in my image. I mean, there's children there and, and, and teenagers there, and, and 
they don't know me. They're on their way to hell, Jonah. They don't reflect me. They don't know the hope. Shouldn't I be concerned about that? It says, Jonah, you've got lots of tears and anguish and concern about the things that bring you comfort and convenience. But do you have any tears, Jonah, left over for the things that break my heart? You know who lives in Nineveh today? The Iraqis live in Nineveh today. Since our war started, we've lost 4,100 military men and women, sons and daughters and dads and moms, friends. Maybe you have some relation there. Not statistics, very, very significant loss. Washington Post ran an article from Johns Hopkins that said that projecting, because we don't know for sure, obviously, that since the start of the war, there has been approximately 700,000 Iraqis that have died, uh, men and women and parents and children, vast majority of them obviously collateral damage, innocent people. What do you think about the Iraqis? I think that God might say, you know, in Nineveh there's over 27 million people who don't spiritually know their right hand from their left. I'm concerned. What do you think about the Iranians, right? The Iranians, they're going to get the bomb right, and they're going to bring us to the brink of nuclear disaster. What do you think about the Iranians? I think God would say that there's over 70 million people in spiritual darkness in Iran today. I'm concerned. North Korea, 23 million. What do you think of your enemies today? I know Christians were not supposed to have enemies, but... The person that, you know, if they tripped and fell, we wouldn't be terribly sad if that kind of happened. That person's probably more on the enemy list than on the, on the uh, friend list. But who's your enemy? Well, it might be like President Obama. Are you obsessed with his spiritual condition and Michelle and his daughters? Uh, maybe your boss at work or that colleague that's just giving you grief or that neighbor who keeps calling the police on you. Or, or maybe that relative who every time you go to the family reunion thing, they are there to, to needle you. And, and, or maybe someone right underneath your roof. Some that person in school. How, how do you see them? Do you see them with, with God's eyes of compassion? Or do you see them with Jonah's eyes? Someone who brings me discomfort. Someone who brings me pain. Let me ask you a question. I'm a new kid on the block here, right? So I'm, I'm, this is rhetorical, though, so don't answer this out loud. Scale from one to ten. Where do you think FAC falls in the compassion mode? There's great things happening here. I mean, I'm odd when I see the food pantry stuff and stuff going downtown, but um, can we not improve? How do you feel about uh, uh, epic-esque type people, folk wearing the jeans and dressing down to church? How do you feel, if you're one of those folk, about the traditional people? I mean, really, what's going on in your heart? How do you feel if you're... African-American about white people when all the injustice that's transpired and I think is still transpiring in many situations. What do you think of your white? What do you think of black folk? My dad grew up in the South, deep South in the 50s. Tough. This is tough for him. If you're Chinese, what do you think about the, the Japanese? If you're Hutu, what do you think of the Tutsis? Where, 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 where are we at with the enemies? Do we see them through God's eyes of compassion? You know, you know I, I'm excited and studied and talking and trying to figure out FAC. And I'm, I'm amazed on a regular basis. I mean, this church has been here a long time. 
And God has worked huge in this place and in Erie. And I don't think God's done. God's got a lot in store yet. He's God. But I don't think that any spiritual work is going to happen ever unless we, for sure, have our hearts aligned with his heart of compassion. And so let me ask you just a couple of things to think about. Um, commitments. But not you're not signing anything or raising your hand or anything. So this is just between you and God. But would you commit to join me in 2011, the rest of this year, just the rest of this year. After this year, you don't have to do this anymore. But 2011, say, but commit to say, I'm going to pray regularly. And I'm going to say, God, would you help my heart to be aligned with yours? May my heart beat like yours because I believe that probably some ways it's not right now. Would you help me to see people through your eyes? And FAC, would you help our heart to beat with yours? Will you take a a step beyond that? And maybe some of y'all would be willing to go this route to say, just for 2011, I'm going to fast just one meal, one meal a week. And I'm going to come before God, just get away, and I'm going to say, God, I'm not trying to manipulate you with my not eating, but I just want you to know that I do love you. And and I want my heart to reflect your heart, and I want this church to reflect your church. I don't want to waste my time, Lord. The time we've got left down here, would you help us to reflect you for this community? And maybe a a third commitment. And I'm not inferring that you don't have any of these already, but a third commitment would say, that, that I am going to choose to have a heart of compassion. I'm going to be obsessed with the spiritual condition of everybody that walks through this door. I'm, not, I'm going to have x-ray vision. I'm not going to see the costumes, whether it's a three-piece suit or whether it's body piercings, whether they're, regardless of what they're driving, regardless of their success in the business world. I'm going to see the people as they come through this door wondering, where are they spiritually? And you know, if they never come back, and if they don't come to know Christ, I can't control that, but it's not going to be because I didn't seek to love these people. I didn't seek to communicate compassion to these people. Anybody God sends us, compassion is what's going to be in my heart towards them. And I may have to fight it from time to time, but I, but I will. Would you be willing to make that commitment? You know, it's interesting. Your question comes out, did Jonah ever repent here? I would think not. The story ends with him in a non-repentant state. And if he's reflecting the nation of Israel 25 years later, Nineveh would repent of their repentance and come and destroy the nation of Israel. Unless we repent on a regular basis from a hard heart, that is the future of our effectiveness. Will you take a second where you are in the sanctuary of your own heart to bow with me And I want to give you just a moment, just between you and God. Don't make any commitments to him that you're not serious about. I mean, he knows our frame. He knows we're going to trip up and forget him from time to time. But just between you and God. Lord, we are very grateful. I'm very grateful for your blessings. We don't deserve them at all. Sometimes we think we do, but we don't. I I know I don't. And we're very grateful, God, for your compassion on us. Way back when, when you called me, 
and your compassion on me every day. Your, your compassion is new every morning. Thank you. God, would you remind myself and your children here that you've created us to reflect your heart for these people in the world that you care for very much. May we seek you, Lord, and at your feet may we find your compassion. God, may, may we, we desire it so much that nothing else in this life, even food, is, is not more important. And Lord, whoever you would send us, God, may, may they leave knowing that they've got something different in that place. May they leave not having faced rejection or ridicule, but, but your compassion through us. I would ask that that would be so, even this week, Lord, as we go back to our homes and our workplaces, our schools, would we reflect your compassion and that person that might, you might have brought to mind, may you help us this week, no matter how difficult it might be, God, to be compassionate with your compassion towards that person. In the name of Jesus and for his glory, we ask that. Amen.